Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. <laughs> because politics needed a rebrand. <laughs> Welcome back to Girl on the Go, the podcast. Happy Wednesday. This is our Wednesday episode. If you are here, then make sure you go check out our Tuesday episode where we cover the top stories of the week. We talk about... What did we talk about? We talk about... This is... Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, we talked about Build Back Mansion. Just more... Mansion, Joe Mansion drama. We talked about... Gun reform, assault rifle ban potentially in the pipeline in Congress. We talk about this is actually a quiz, um, by the way. This is yeah, I feel very pop quiz vibes right now. I'm trying to remember, also My, administered by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, there was two more stories: <laughs> abortion legislation and Maryland primaries. Okay, yes, Maryland primaries. Maryland listeners, you voted yesterday. Happy, happy voting. And yeah, some abortion rights legislation that is attempting to pass the House and the Senate, but likely won't. You know what I wanted to say when I was listening to our episode this morning that I realized we probably should have clarified for people and it just didn't hit me until I listened to it back kind of thing is we talk about like in the Maryland primaries, there only being like one like open seat. And when we say that in a particular race, that doesn't mean that like there aren't other races per that role it just means like an open seat means that there's no incumbent running in that seat Mm -hmm. so it means that like there's there's primaries on both sides of the aisle both vying for an open seat exactly yeah Yeah, there's no incumbent there's no sitting elected running for re-election it's an open seat for any newbie to jump on in but great clarification we love a good clarification moment um a great episode for you guys in store and you know what else Sorry, yeah. I have so many things to say. This is just bonkers bananas of I can't shut myself up. But I did find on my adventures today a sippy cup. Did and you? It has a picture of moose on it. I didn't buy it. I thought about it. Might go back. It's fine. But if you don't know what I'm talking about involving I sippy cups. I Costco today. I was Honey. with my mom, too. I told her I needed them. She was like, you don't need a sippy cup. Just get a cute cup with a straw. I'm like, no. Sippy cup. Sippy. Sippy cup. <laughs> this is, look, we're going to do the Girl Only Gov sippy cups. It's going to happen. We're going to figure out a way. But if you don't know what we're talking about, this is also a really good teaser or arrow direction, whatever, to go back to yesterday's episode and find out about the sippy cup drama. Yeah. Sippy cup is the theme of yesterday's episode with no context provided. You have to go listen to find yep. out. <laughs> but... Yeah, updates updates on that situation. Things are lo- are looking up from from it's yesterday. Positive. So it's very positive. That's, that's the update as of now. But don't want to like spoil what the story mm-hmm. is. You know, I need mm-hmm. everyone to go listen to top stories. But 
I also yeah. saw a really interesting TikTok the other day. She was a guest at one point on Call Her Daddy too, but she's like a porn star, Mia Khalifa or whatever. Oh yeah. And she she was on this other podcast and they like had a clip on TikTok. She's like, I think it's worse when men or just like anyone, yeah, sells their bodies to the army or to war. Like, I think that's way worse than porn. I'm like, wait, fact genius. <laughs> like mm-hmm. profound. I I can't. I saw that, and then there was, like, some guy that reacted to it that was, like, in the military, and yeah, he was, like, sitting yeah, there. Yeah, that's the one I like, saw, too. Yeah. No, I know. He's like, shit. You know what? It's so funny. That actually makes me think of this one moment. I was talking to this homeless guy, and he was <laughs> – he kind of, like, littered, and I was like, can you just, like, not – litter he's like why trash cans are just like a a way to make things aesthetically pleasing the trash doesn't just go away it still exists somewhere else and i'm like yeah like in our oceans he's so right like (laughs) like just picking up trash off the street is really just for our own aesthetic pleasure but where's the trash going how's it being handled like what a karen moment for you though pick up your litter Oh no, we were like chatting. We were having some good banter. I got to know him a little bit. And then, because he was outside my apartment and I was like, listen, oh, is my one thing. One? If No, he was a new one, um, mm-hmm. one I wasn't familiar with. But we were chatting. I was like, just my my one thing. Can you just try not to like throw the trash everywhere? He was like, why? It just all ends up in the same place anyways. We just, we just like the trash gone so that we don't have to see it. I'm like, wait, <laughs> you're so right. <laughs> Well, it's like, well, I guess if you get granular with it, you can make arguments about like sanitation and yeah. germs and such. But then at the same time, it still then goes somewhere else and destroys something. So it's like, yeah. And like someone else or something else has to deal with it, aka like right. the ocean or like animals or, you know, just something to think about. But anyways, f- another anyways. just another moment we just have to address mm. is Snooky. Oh, this is- was. A day maker. A night maker. A day maker. Yeah. So Democratic Pennsylvania candidate for Senate, John Fetterman, trolled Republican opponent, Dr. Oz, who is widely believed to be a New Jersey resident who only recently <laughs> relocated to Pennsylvania to take advantage of the state's open Senate seat. And so John Fetterman, who's the Democrat, basically had Snooky make like one of those cameo videos for Dr. Oz being like, I heard you moved to Pennsylvania from New Jersey. Like, we're going to miss you. Like, I heard you're looking for a new job. Good luck out there. But, like, you'll be back. Don't worry. Like, this is only temporary. And it's just... Iconic. It's, it's just honestly, so good. It's not just... First of all, her execution was phenomenal. Like, 10 mm-hmm. out of 10 snooks. But what I loved about it was obviously there was a thought process. There was a meeting. There was an idea. Like, I don't yeah. think I would have ever thought to use Cameo to do something that creative and I fucking Mm -hmm. love it and it's funny because I remember I think it was this fall let's call it this fall for lack of a better ability to know what you know time of year when I remember we were talking about cameo because we found like Giuliani on it It was like all the like kind of like comedy show like clown Republican situations were all on cameo Mm -hmm. and then this comes out from the other other side in a sense and I was like Light I can't bulb. believe Trump hasn't made a cameo. I feel like that's so up his alley. Is he on it? The uh, I know the sons are. Are they? Oh, yeah. That that, that checks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Snooky, we just we stand like as if I couldn't 
be more obsessed with Snooki. I've you guys been obsessed since the very first episode of Jersey Shore. I I can't even. No, it's also really funny. Sneaky, watch it. It's my parents. Is no. We really? You weren't allowed to watch it? No, oh my God. They were like having sex and drinking all the time, and I was like twelve. You know what's weird? This is when like us having like what like a two and a half year age yeah, difference just a bit makes of like age a slight difference, difference of yeah. like those things where like my parent like at that point because what if you were twelve I was what fourteen, fourteen and a half. Yeah, so you were like probably in high school. I. I feel like early in high school, though, my parents, like, they wouldn't have, like, been, like, you are forbidden to watch this. But, like, if they would have walked in and saw me watching it, they would have been, like, what are you doing? Like, you know, and mm. they just scolded me where I was, like, ugh, don't want to deal with that. So I would like, just, no, like, I turn it off it. quickly. Yeah. That's so funny. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Well, I also think it's funny, like, where, like, yeah, like, the Jersey Shore thing is still going on. I know they have, like, some of the family episode type things or whatever. Yeah. But it's so funny where, like, some of those people kind of land and mm-hmm. she opened up a store in a town a few a few towns over from where my parents were living. And mm-hmm. it just was, like, so funny, like, thinking of, like, okay, you have this store, just this town. I grew up kind of, like, going to whatever. And then in addition to that, like, your kids are in the school system here. Like, and then I'm thinking, like, you're at soccer practice. And you're just, like, on the sidelines with Snooki. I you feel know? like she's and, like, kept such a, like, she's one of those that could have gone off the rails psychotic you know totally. but she's just like such a family woman like like loves her children such a good mom and just like a new jersey mom and just living the life but like still has her fun and still makes her money and like did the perfect balance of like celebrity but like normal you know she really figured it out like i gotta say like anyways. anyways anyways wait other thing is respect for marriage act saw this impenetrable news newsletter today so there is a a bill coming through the house that would basically codify marriage equality, which we love to see. And there's actually a ton of GOP support for this, which is great and pretty shocking, weirdly. However, of course, per usual, the Senate is unknown of like where they're going to stand on this. So just a call to action. We need to see and be proactive. It's one of those proactive political mm-hmm. moments we talked about yesterday with this rogue Supreme Court I mean, who is already threatening revisit mm-hmm. Same-sex marriage ruling, which is crazy. And then Ted Cruz, either the other day, he said that the 2015 marriage equality ruling was, quote, clearly wrong. So call your senators, but, like, call Ted Cruz, especially 202-224-3121. Ask to speak to your Texas senators and say that you want them to support the Respect for Marriage Act when it hopefully hits the Senate. Should we send him some rainbow flags? Yeah, we should send them. You know, you know what we should send them? You know those mm. little have you seen those things where you like open the package and like a bunch of confetti comes out? Like rainbow confetti box. Mm-hmm. And then at the and then it like it can say Respect for Marriage Act. Vote yay. <laughs> <laughs> Big call your senator moment on this one. Again, the Supreme Court is has been doing the absolute most. And in response to them wanting to revisit marriage equality, we actually have, with GOP support, a bill coming through that can codify marriage equality. Same-sex marriage, but also... Absolutely. Um, Be looking at us kind of sponsors after we hop off. Very curious. Yeah, totally. But also interracial marriage, too, to just really set that in stone as well. Yeah. But yeah, call your senators. 202-224-3121.
There's my other QBC moment. Other moment, 17 House Democrats were detained at an abortion rights rally protesting the Supreme Court decision. AOC was one of those, so there's a little video of AOC in handcuffs protesting, which we absolutely love to see. Like, you know, like, your reps are supposed to be just like you, like, part of the people. And I think it's so important to, like, just send this message of, like, solidarity of, like, we're not only going to be working legislatively to protect abortion rights, but we're going to be out there on the streets with y'all. I love to see it. Love to I see it. I'm not sure how this works could... with protesting. I think you're just like detained and then you're taken. You know, like when, remember when like Amy Schumer and Emrata got arrested at the Women's March? Yeah, that's a great question. Like, are they just like brought well, in? I think- what I saw was that basically, like, the reason they were able to, like, arrest them is them protest- protesting in, I think it was, like, an area where you're not allowed to gather or, like, oh. disruption of parking. So, like, I think they usually arrest them under some, like, minuscule charge that, like, most people wouldn't be. They don't even, like, take them to the police station they, or anything. I think they book them, but, oh, okay. like, they're violating mm-hmm. ordinance. You know, like they're not rioting, so it's. Mm-hmm. I, I have no. And words you know, they're gonna. To these seventeen House Democrats are really gonna have so much campaign content from this. You're like, look at us, we're out here getting for you guys. Oh, what a thought! It's great campaign that's messaging. All can, that's all I can think of when you say that. That's the Samantha only thing that goes to my mind. Horizontal, on the floor. Guys, my back hurts so much. Do you want to introduce our guests? Yes. It, because our guest is amazing, unlike my performance today. Sorry, y'all. You're getting an end of the day, Sammy Whammy. Anyways, let's get to the important part of this episode and introduce our guest. So today's guest is Monica Simpson. She is the executive director of Sister Song. So if you've heard of Sister Song, you may guess that we are talking about reproductive justice. If you haven't heard of them, and now you have, and you're going to get to learn a lot more about what they do in our interview, in our conversation with Monica. So without further ado, here is Monica. Well, we are super excited to have you on the show. You're the executive director of Sister Song, which is an organization that we have been chatting about for, it feels like time immemorial. But we want to give our listeners the four-on-one on what you guys do, you know, right from your mouth. Like, what do you guys do? What's the organization all about? And also, how did it get started? For sure. So I'm really also very excited to be here. You all are doing great work and I'm just really excited that you are giving us an opportunity to be on your platform and talk to your listeners. But you know, I came into the know of Sister Song probably around 2007, right? I had been doing social justice work for quite some time at that point, but I was just really looking for like my political home, to be quite honest. And I heard Loretta Ross, who was the national coordinator of Sister Song at that time, speak at the U.S. Social Forum in 2007. And the way that she talked about human rights and like she introduced me to this term intersectionality and mm-hmm. she was this beautiful black woman with these locks. And I was just like, wait a minute, there's black women who lead movements? Like, I yes. didn't know that. I didn't know that we could talk about our bodies and like mm-hmm. our human rights and like everything at the same time. What is this? And so <laughs> she was it. telling me about reproductive justice. But she was, of course, you know, coming at it as the national coordinator from Sister Song. And so then I got a chance to dive into Sister Song's history a little bit more. 
and I became a groupie of Sister Song immediately. <laughs> and when I had the opportunity Obsessed. to start, <laughs> you know, I had the opportunity to start working for the organization in 2010. And then even more of the beautiful story of Sister Song started to unfold. So Sister Song was started in 1997 and it was created to be a national collective of black women, indigenous women, Asian Pacific Islander women, Latinas, Latinx folks, you know, all coming together to bring their collective power that they already were doing in their collective communities and across their collective cultures around sexual and reproductive health, but moving it into this collective structure that gave them more political power, more ability to like have this really strong voice around their issues in a way that sometimes got drowned out, right? Like by some of these larger, more nationally known organizations. And so they were, you know, doing collectively what they couldn't do individually, right? And so this, the origin story is just so powerful because it was like the first time I had ever heard of like, these kind of communities and cultures coming together to do their work together collectively. And so that, that's kind of like Sister Song's origin story of just like this collective action amongst these communities of color. And so Sister Song has been doing movement building work. We do culture shift work. We support policy work. We are on the front lines of training and education in particular for those folks who are new to reproductive justice and wanting to understand it. And we do all of that work, you know, as this Southern based national organization, right? So we're just uniquely positioned and to be an organization that kind of like carries this, this work of reproductive justice, kind of like one of those first places that people learn about reproductive justice, we take that very seriously. And so helping people understand that reproductive justice is this movement that was created by black women in 1994, that it is intersectional, that it is rooted in human rights. And then it gives us this more holistic way to think about our reproductive lives and how we then you know, determine our futures in this country by looking at the human rights to have the children in the ways that we want, to prevent or end pregnancies without shame, but with dignity, to be able to parent our children in healthy and safe environments and free from violence. And right, it's just like really this big movement that's about, you know, it's my body. Mm -hmm. And I get to make decisions over it. And I get to determine what my future is in this country. And that is what drew me in. It is what keeps me in this work every single day. And I think that's what makes Sister Song so unique as an organization. All so amazing. I love to hear all of that. And that story is incredible. But speaking of reproductive justice, we want to kind of just dive right into our I Have a Stupid Question segment and really break down what that means. So can you yeah. explain what is reproductive justice and really what's the story of like how this term and action around it came about? For sure. So, you know, reproductive justice, again, was birthed by these 12 Black women in 1994. And at that time, it was, you know, they were in the midst of healthcare reform in this country and under the Clinton administration. And all of these conversations, all this organizing was going on around healthcare reform. And what these Black women realized was that, you know, in this larger conversation around healthcare, that the that, you know, access to abortion was something that just people just really wanted to keep as the siloed issue. And they're like, we can't do that if we're talking about healthcare in this country because abortion access is healthcare, right? At the end of the day. And they also understood that if we're gonna talk about healthcare in this country, we can't do that and not talk about the ways in which systemic racism and violence and white supremacy and patriarchy, like all of that comes into play, you know, as we're thinking about our health in this country. And they just wanted to make sure that the, the needs and the experiences of communities of color, in particular black communities, was centered 
in this conversation. And so they they did this action where they had like over 800 people sign this petition. This was pre-Twitter and pre-social media, all the things, right? To say that if you're going to talk about healthcare reform in this country, you're going to listen to Black women and you're not going to exclude our reproductive health care. And they call themselves women of African descent for reproductive justice. And this was the first time that we heard this term used. And so reproductive justice over the years has now been defined as Sister Song defines it as the human right, again, to have the children that we want in the ways that we want. So this is our ability to talk about um, our maternal health and what we need around our maternal health and for us to be able to have healthy pregnancies and healthy babies. The human right to prevent or end pregnancies, right? And this is where we have our abortion justice work, where we're able to talk about access to contraception, right? Access to comprehensive sex education like all of that really falls up into all of the tenants really but that's that that's second tenant of the work the third tenant is around the ability to be able to parent our children in healthy and safe environments and to be and to have them be free from violence and this particular tenant of our work has really opened up conversations around economic justice, environmental justice, the work that we have been doing to make sure that our children are safe and free from police and like all of that, it gives us the ability to talk about all of those things and what's needed for our communities to be safe so our children and our future generations can be safe and to be able to live into their destinies. And ultimately, again, it's about this bodily autonomy, right? This human right to bodily autonomy, to be able to self-determine our lives. And so reproductive justice was not created to be a single issue movement at all. It was, it was always meant to be intersectional and whether it's economic justice, environmental justice, any of the justices, right? That yeah. we're all so committed to right now, all those roads lead back to reproductive yeah. justice. They, they do. Totally. And so that's just, you know, hopefully a way for people to understand it a little bit more that it yeah. is more all-encompassing totally. when thinking about the totality of our lives it's so important right. to like paint that picture that it's all connected i think that's crucial totally and like when one domino falls so do all the others so i Absolutely. think that always is sort of important to consider here and i do want to touch on the maternal element of this within that is birth justice can you yeah. walk us through what that means generally what that means specifically to sister song just give us sort of the the run of show there yeah i want to give so much love to black midwives like jamara imani she's with the southern birth equity connection work that she does based out of florida i hope i'm saying the name of her organization right but jamara you're the best mm -hmm. you know it's, it's it's black women like her and black midwives and birth workers that really helped us understand the concept and put more language to birth justice, which again is a way for us to speak more all encompassing about the needs of folks as they are, you know, preparing to have babies and moving through their pregnancy and also then what is needed for folks after they've delivered, right? And so it's not just about making sure that, you know, you have prenatal care, but it's like that you have prenatal care that is, you know, competent, like you have people that understand your culture and who you are, and that can actually speak to exactly what you need. In particular, as communities of color, we know how important that is for us. That is birth justice. And like thinking about what is needed for, you know, a person who has just given birth, you know, around postpartum, right? It's that it's looking at the full spectrum, right? Of when a person, before they get pregnant, when they get pregnant, while they are pregnant, and after they're pregnant, everything that's needed for them to be able to be safe, to be healthy, to have everything that they need. That is really kind of like at the core of what birth justice is. And for us at Sister Song, you know, our birth justice work is really centered on making sure that families and folks who are pregnant have access to 
all of the different services and or just practical needs to be able to take care of their families. We started our birth justice care fund back in 2020 at the height of the pandemic because we realized that so many families didn't have you know, the care that they needed in the doctor's offices anymore, even in the hospitals anymore. Yeah. And so everyone had to become a doula. Everyone had to be trained and ready to go to support people. People needed access to diapers and formula and all of those things. And so we created this fund to be this mutual aid kind of space for folks to be able to get access to those things. So that's how we bring birth justice into our work and training people on how to deliver services, how to show up for pregnant people, giving people intensives on, you know, lactation support, all the things, right. That's necessary yeah. for them to have, you know, healthy pregnancy outcomes. Mm -hmm. Totally. Well, looking to now at Roe being overturned, here we are. Um, here, we are. <laughs> here we are. What does this mean specifically for women of color? Can you kind of paint that picture of now in this post-Roe world? Like, how does this, how is this going to overwhelmingly and disproportionately affect this, de this demographic? Yeah, you know, I'm still like, even though I do this work and I kind of saw this ball coming down the right. court, right? It was still just, you know, when I heard the news, it's still hitting me in my core. Like, yeah. this is, this is scary. And I, I think that what I've been trying to paint the picture for people is that, you know, yes, Roe being overturned is major and it's hard. And even though we had Roe, right, Roe still was the floor for so many folks of color because just because you have a legal right doesn't mean that you have access to that right, right? right? So we were already battling that. Mm -hmm. And so now you add the Supreme Court decision on top of this and it just makes it even more detrimental yeah. for our communities, right? And so, you know, I think what I've been, you know, wrestling with is that what this decision really said to me, right? When I read Clarence Thomas's dissent and I read all these other things, like, it's just, I'm like, oh, y'all are basically saying that you don't want us to be free. Okay. Right. You're basically saying that you don't want us to be able to control our own futures or to have control of our own bodies. Like for communities of color, that takes us back to some very scary and unfortunate times that I don't think any of us are interested in returning to, right? right. But yet this decision really rolls us back in a way that is just so scary for folks, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we think about what's happening in this country, and in particular, I'll, I'll come in from a Black woman's perspective, right? Because I'm a Black woman, right? Yeah. So when I look at, you know, the fact that Black women are dying at a rate four times higher than white women in childbirth, right? Mm -hmm. When I look at the fact that most of our states, in particular in the South, have not expanded Medicaid, that Black women only make 63 to 64 cents on the dollar, that, you know, police brutality and violence is still out of control and has taken the lives of way too many young people in this country. And then when you add on top of that, like, there is this, like, th th that we've already had barriers in place, like the Hyde Amendment that made it really, you know, impossible for low-income folks and, you know, you know, to be able to have access to, you know, even federal funds to have abortions. So we already had barriers. We already are now dealing with like all these other like very harsh, you know, issues, right? That's, that's impacting our community. And now you add this on top of it. Right. You're forcing people to be pregnant. You're fo forcing people to carry a pregnancy to term that could actually, you know, put their lives in danger. Mm -hmm. That is a very scary picture when you paint it for people in that way, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, and for Black women and women of color who are already having such have so many barriers in place to getting the access that they need just for healthcare in general. To add this is just painting an even scarier picture. And then to add on top of that, 
this layer of criminalization that's also attached to this issue, right? right with the yeah. Supreme Court decision, we know who are we know the communities that are over criminalized, right? In this in this country, yeah, and overly policed, right? It's black and brown folks. It's folks who have historically been pushed to the margins, and so it is. Again, we, we've been getting this from our members, from the folks that we do this work with. It is scary for folks right now. And people are just like, they're in awe that we are at a place in this country where the highest court in the land has basically told us that they do not care about our lives as well. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I think very scary to be a pregnant person in this country in yes. any capacity for whether you choose to be or you don't choose to be. Yeah. It's a very scary thing. And I, th I think that leads to a question about maternal mortality and where we're headed in this country with that. You know, we've already seen rates through the roof, especially for black women. Where do you see this kind of going in the months and years to come? Obviously, there's going to be, you know, groups mm -hmm. like yours trying to fight against all of this and all of that. But in terms of where this trajectory is in this current moment, where do you see that going? I don't see it getting better. That's the yeah. sad part, yeah. right? Like we were already in a maternal health crisis in this country to the point where we've had even the Biden administration acknowledging that and like really trying to move efforts towards, you know, remedying that. But if you're forcing people to be pregnant in this country, and in particular communities of color, black women who are already, you know, you know, statistically we're already seeing that, yeah. you know, those birthing outcomes are not the greatest, right? then I, again, we can't see that this is making the maternal mortality crisis better in this country by any means. Totally. Yeah. I feel like there just hasn't been like any attention given to that in yeah. like the many years that have caused that crisis. Like crisis doesn't necessarily like come about over years. And I was in Target the other day and literally there was not a tampon to be found, no ba like baby formula, no diapers. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking through every aisle that's marketed towards birthing people. And I was like, how on earth would this ever be attractive for someone in this country to have a baby? Mm. It's just not. And so I am curious from your perspective with we have, you know, obviously the court to deal with, but what your perspective is on what will change this or what can people do to try and, you know, bring attention not only to the maternal maternity crisis, but also for fixing this at the state federal level? Yeah. I will honestly say that movement building has been the solution to every crisis in this country. It took people being willing to be in the street, being willing to raise their voices, being willing to tell their stories, being willing to just be out front about the things that they care about the most and doing that consistently that we have seen the, the major changes happen in this country. And that's what this moment is calling for. I think that, you know, up until that Roe decision came down, a lot of people thought we were okay. They thought that because Roe right. was, you know, decided upon in 73, that we didn't have anything else to worry about, right? And now folks are waking up and new folks are like being politicized around what's happening around these issues. And I think that's important. I'm glad that those people are waking up. I'm glad that more people are willing to come to this issue and take it on. But we are at a place where, again, we're going to have to fight for our rights. We have to fight for the democracy that we say that we want. And that takes people voting 
for their values and voting for things that, that are going to take care of people, right? It, it's going to take us, again, having that staying power, that staying organizing power that's going to be necessary for us to make these changes. It's not comfortable. This level of mm -hmm. organizing I mean, this level of like movement building work is not comfortable. You know, I cannot imagine those people sitting at those lunch counters or getting dogs <laughs> and hoses, you know, put on them were comfortable, right? right? But those actions were necessary for us to see the changes that, to see the changes made, right? And that's where we are. And that's what this political moment is calling for. And so organizations like mine, so many other amazing RJ organizations in this country are leading that work. And so what we need are folks who are willing to, to join forces, to link arms and to be in the fight with us right now. Yeah. What are some of the approaches that you know, mm -hmm. you've seen that really do help break down some of these systems of oppression that we see really all over the place. And I think how you started this conversation about talking about reproductive justice and how it's interconnected with so many other issues like climate justice and more. Mm -hmm. But how do we start to break those down as a collective? And, you know, I think, again, we 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 always talk about on this show, like we're all politics, voting, action items, all the things. But what else do you suggest when it comes to breaking down these systems of oppression, like conversations to be had, your average everyday person who has to join this fight and get uncomfortable? What are the steps that they need to take to to start working towards that? Yeah, I think it's really important for people to understand their own connections to this work, right? Like we we start all of our trainings, all of our conversations off of Sister Song if we all have a story to tell. And I think it's important for people to get really rooted in their story and their and, and what what brings them to this work or what is like activating them right now everyone has a story right and i think it's important for people to, to identify what theirs is because i think that our stories are our driving power and that's what gives us the energy and the momentum to move and to do the work that you know we feel called to do so i think that's one thing we we always encourage people to do that work and for some people that means some healing needs to happen for some people that means you know yeah. that some more political education needs to happen right there's some more reading some more study that needs to happen yes. it looks different for everyone right but you got to be willing to invest right in yourself to be your strongest self in order to be a, a, a strong, and I, you know, I don't necessarily want to use militarized language, but like a strong warrior, right? Yeah. Like in this fight right now, right? That's number one, that's one way, right? I think another way that people can really do this is by sharing, right? Like, I mean, we have to see that social media is a powerful tool yeah. for us. It's an extremely powerful tool and we got to be willing to use it in all the ways necessary, right? So I think that, you know, following these RJ organizations, reposting, putting that information out for folks is going to be really necessary for folks to be able to get more information to really understand what's going on. I think the podcast like you all are doing and like creating these opportunities for folks to like hear real time conversations are gonna be really, really important right now. That's what gets people politicized, it's what gets people excited, is what gets people amped and ready to move. And so these are like culture shift strategies, in my opinion, that are really necessary yeah. for us right now to be able to like switch people's lights on inside mm -hmm. of them, right? To then move them towards action. And then once we have people in that action mode, right? We can then have them start to give money to their abortion funds or volunteer for organizations or show up in different other or in other capacities that's how we have to move people 
Totally. Absolutely. It's like the three P's, personal, politics, and platforms. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love it. Well, we know you are moment. a busy woman. We could talk about this forever, and we're going to need to have you back on. But we will let you go. But before you go, can you tell everybody where they can find Sister Song, where they can support you guys, and maybe get involved? Absolutely. Again, thank you all so, so much for this. And I hope that this, like, sparked you know, something for somebody listening to like really get connected but to get involved right now. But you can find out all the good things, all the cool things, all the ways to get involved with Sister Song by following us on all social media platforms at Sister Song underscore W-O-C. Again, at Sister Song underscore W-O-C. We're going to give you that political education. We're going to invite you in. We're going to ask you to be a member. We're going to keep you connected to the movement and to the work right now because it is necessary for us all to be tapped in because it's going to take all of us, all right, of us. to get to the place where we want, which is where liberation is, right, for all of us. So, yeah. Yes. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.